I'm reading from the first chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, the second verse. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Since I was the valedictorian of my graduating class, composed of eight people, it was my duty to give the valedictory address. I chose to begin my speech with the statement from Shakespeare's King Lear, when Lear says, How sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a thankless child. King Lear makes this remark when he discovers how his daughter, Goneril, to whom he has given so much, has betrayed him. She is the hypocritical child who pretends to have a great love for her father just so that she can inherit so much of his kingdom. Instead of being grateful for the power and wealth her father bestows upon her, she betrays him. She plots his murder. When learning of her true character, Lear speaks these famous words. In my valedictory address, I was trying to assure our parents that we were grateful for all that they had done for us. We can understand King Lear's horror when he discovers the ingratitude of his child. Any parent would feel this pain, whether the parent is a king or one of the poorest and most powerless. Unless a mother or father abandon their children, the vast majority of parents make great sacrifices for them. It's true that parents make many mistakes in the raising of their children. Though children expect absolute perfection in their parents, they are sure to be disappointed. No parent is anywhere close to being perfect. And it's so easy for children to amplify the mistakes of their parents and forget everything else. They forget how much money their parents have spent on them throughout their lives to see that they have a roof over their heads and food on the table. They forget the time and money spent to give their children good health and a good education. All the hours walking the floor, sitting up with them through sleepless nights. They forget the days and years that they have spent playing with them, helping them with their school studies, supporting them in their athletic activities and other hobbies and amusements. I could make a list a mile long of all the things that parents have done for their children. And yet children can forget all of that in a single moment if the parents fail them in some way. One of the strangest sins that human beings commit is the sin of ingratitude. No matter how much a person may do for us, no matter what sacrifices they have made for us, we can forget it in the twinkling of an eye. In an essay entitled Thankfulness, written by the Reverend Henry Burton in 1880, he says, Unthankfulness has been called the treason of mankind, the epitome of all vices. The ancients held that an ungrateful man was guilty of every kind of depravity. Hence the laws of Persia, Macedonia, and Athens condemned the ungrateful to death. When Lycurgus, the lawgiver of Sparta, made no law against ingratitude, it was said, it is because it is so monstrous a vice that no one can be guilty of it. Well, Lycurgus was correct when he described ingratitude as monstrous, but he was wrong when he said that it was so horrible that no one would dare to be ungrateful. Unfortunately, ingratitude is one of the most common and ordinary of sins. History is filled of people from all stations of life showing ingratitude toward those who have worked and sacrificed for the very people 
who show the basest forms of ingratitude. But there is no ingratitude so monstrous as that ingratitude shown by human beings toward God. In the text before us, God has called heaven and earth to act as witnesses of a horrible crime, the crime of ingratitude. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. This charge of ingratitude could be brought against the whole human race. God is the father of us all in the sense that he created us. But the first act of ingratitude occurred in the Garden of Eden. Man was placed in a paradise where he was provided for abundantly. There was no pain, sickness, suffering, and death, but man showed his ingratitude by rebelling against this God who had freely given him everything that anyone could desire. And that same act of ingratitude has been repeated on a daily basis in every human being since that first sin. Though this world has been marred by sin, it is still a world of blessings and delights provided by a loving Heavenly Father. But when He created us, He did not leave us alone and desolate. He gave us a beautiful earth that is filled with blessings. Abundant provision has been made by a loving Father to nourish those whom He has created. The psalmist describes the goodness of God to all His creation when he says, Thou visitest the earth and waterest it. Thou greatly enrichest it with the river of God, which is full of water. Thou preparest them corn when thou hast so provided for it. Thou waterest the ridges thereof abundantly. Thou settlest the furrows thereof. Thou makest it soft with showers. Thou blessest the springing thereof. Thou crownest the year with thy goodness, and thy paths drop fatness. They drop upon the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered over with corn. They shout for joy. They also sing. All these blessings continue to be poured out around the world. But where is the gratitude to God for these blessings? When Paul and Barnabas are trying to persuade the people of Lystra to turn from their false gods to the true and living God, they say, We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good, and gave us rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Though most of the people in the world were worshiping false gods and living in disobedience to God, he did not leave himself without a witness. Even among the idolatrous people of the world, he revealed himself to be a good and loving God by pouring out his blessings on them. As Jesus said, our heavenly Father maketh his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Yet despite all the blessings of God upon this world, human beings are ungrateful. When the Apostle Paul was listing all the sins of the Gentile world, he talks about how they had created images of God in the form of men, birds, and beasts of the earth. But Paul describes their original sin in this way, because that when they knew God, 
They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Before Paul lists all of the terrible sins that he will speak of in the first chapter of Romans, he mentions that they were guilty of ingratitude. They knew in their hearts who God was, but they rejected him and refused to worship him, and they were not thankful for all the blessings this good and great God had bestowed upon them. It is always an interesting thing to read the testimonies of how people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Sometimes the Lord uses certain verses of Scripture to reveal to people their sinfulness and their need of him. I remember hearing of an unbeliever who went to a church one night to hear a certain preacher. During the course of the sermon, the preacher happened to read these words from Romans 121, Neither were thankful. All of a sudden, this unbeliever fell under terrible conviction of sin because it dawned on him that God had blessed him throughout his life and he had never been thankful. So he came to Christ confessing that he was a sinner, pleading for forgiveness of this sin of ingratitude and all other sins. Like this man, billions of people need to come to humble themselves before God and beg him for Christ's sake to forgive them for this sin of ingratitude. Henry Burton quotes Robert Layton, the 17th century Archbishop of Glasgow, as saying, what a pity it is that this earth, which is so full of God's goodness, should be so empty of his praises, and that of the multitudes that live on his bounty, there are so few that live to his glory. Truly the goodness of God should lead all people to repentance, for never thanking the God who has filled their lives with blessings. While it's true that all people around the world could be charged with the sin of ingratitude, in the passage before us, the Lord is accusing his own people, Israel, of the sin of ingratitude. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The Apostle Paul said that all the people of the earth are God's offspring, but the people of Israel were the children of God in a unique way. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, he had called them to be his people. God says that he has nourished and brought up children. The word children is sons in the Hebrew language. And this word is placed in the emphatic position in the sentence. Sons, I have nourished and brought up. God looked upon Israel as his son. When God sent Moses to Pharaoh, he told him to deliver this message. Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. God looked upon all the children of Israel as his children. For Moses said in Deuteronomy 14:1, ye are the children of the Lord your God. He had made the people of Israel his sons by calling them to enter into covenant with them. He had chosen them. He promised to be their God. He graciously offered to enter into covenant with them that if they would live in obedience to him, he would bless them. 
They had agreed to keep his covenant, and God had showered untold blessings upon them. He had given them his commandments so that they might live in peace and happiness. He made a way for their sins to be forgiven through the offering of sacrifices. He led them into Canaan and gave them victory over their enemies. Then under David and Solomon, he had made them a great nation. The words translated nourished and brought up in our text have the meaning to exalt or to make great. But these words were also used to describe the way a parent brings up a child. A father nourishes his son so that he can reach maturity. Children are made great, so to speak, in the sense of having reached the state of manhood. The Lord is saying that he had done all that was necessary to bring these people to manhood, to maturity. He had nourished them, brought them up, made them a great nation, a great people. He had made these people who had been so few in number a great nation. These people who had been slaves in the land of Egypt had been exalted to a place of prominence among the nations. But were they thankful for these blessings? But were they thankful for these blessings? No. They showed their ingratitude by rebelling against God, rebelling against their father who had nourished them and exalted them. In the Song of Moses that we looked at in the previous message, the children of Israel are told to look ahead to the days when they will rebel against God. And he asks them, Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? In other words, is this how you repay your father who bought you, who redeemed you? How ungrateful could anyone be? Instead of loving and obeying their father, they rebelled against him. This word for rebel is a strong word. It refers to a violent breaking loose from someone. They had fiercely and with contempt severed their relationship with their father through idolatry and many other forms of wickedness. Instead of worshiping and adoring him, they turned to idols, even the idols of the surrounding nations whom they had conquered. Instead of living in obedience, they broke all of his commandments and refused to listen to the prophets who were sent to them to call them to repentance. What an incredible thing that the people who had been chosen by the Lord, blessed by the Lord, made great by the Lord, would with malice and contempt turn from the Lord. What ingratitude. And because of this ingratitude, the judgment of God would fall upon this nation. Thousands would die and thousands more carried away into captivity. But now let us come to our present time. Like Israel, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is God's holy nation. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We have been chosen by God. We were not a people, but now we are the people of God, just as Israel was. We have received greater blessings than the children of Israel ever received. The children of Israel were delivered from the slavery of Egypt. 
We have been delivered from a greater slavery. Slavery to sin and Satan. Think of what our Heavenly Father did to set us free from the slavery of sin. We have spoken of the great sacrifices that parents make for their children. Our Heavenly Father made the greatest sacrifice of all. He gave his only son and delivered him into the hands of wicked men so that all our sins could be placed on him in order that he might bear the penalty due to our sins. If you are a member of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are members of God's own family. He has taken a handful of disciples on the day of Pentecost and caused his word to spread around the world and gather to himself a people from all the nations of the earth. Again, God has nourished and brought up children. But sadly, history has repeated itself in the church. Have not whole branches of the church of Jesus Christ forsaken the Lord and embraced idols? Though many branches of the church say that they worship God, the God they worship is not the God of Scripture, but an idol of their own making. Though many branches of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ say that they believe in Jesus, the Jesus they have invented is a false Messiah, a Jesus who bears no resemblance at all to the Jesus revealed in Scripture. Whole branches of Christ's church now embrace the most evil forms of immorality and give their blessing to all kinds of sin. Whole branches of the church of Jesus Christ have, with violence, broken free from God, free from Christ, free from Scripture, and have said, we will have nothing to do with that God. We will serve the gods we like best, the works of our own hands. God has nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against him. But now let me come close to home and speak to individual members of the church of Jesus Christ. There are members of the church who have done exactly what Israel did. Let me begin with young people who have been brought up in the church. Because one of the saddest and most terrifying things is happening across our nation. More and more young people are breaking away from the church as soon as they leave the homes of their parents. Some of you were baptized when you were infants. You were made part of God's holy family, his covenant people. When you were baptized, you were sanctified, set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been taught the scriptures and catechized by your parents, teachers, and pastors. You've been brought to church where you have heard and sung the great hymns of the faith. You have heard the word of God preached to you hundreds of times. You have even taken part in the sacrament of Holy Communion, receiving the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the writer to the Hebrews put it, you have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. And yet, though you have received all these blessings, you have no love for God. You have no love for the scriptures. You have no love for worshiping with the people of God. Some of you can't wait until you get away from home so that you will never again have to attend the church. Like many others, you are going to abandon God completely or invent a God you like better. If you do so, you are committing a far greater sin than the people of Israel did. As the writer to the Hebrews says, 
He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment. Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have seen what terrible judgments fell upon the people of God in the Old Testament when they departed from the Lord. Those judgments do not begin to compare with the judgments that will fall on those who abandon Christ and leave his church. Those who abandon Christ and his church spit in the face of Jesus Christ. When you were baptized, the blood of Christ was applied to you. The greatest blessing that anyone could ever receive. But if you abandon Christ and leave his church, you are trampling under your feet the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are saying that the blood Jesus shed on the cross is worse than garbage thrown into the streets. God says of you, just as he said of these people, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. What misery awaits those who are guilty of this ingratitude? Sadly, this sin is not committed only by young people, but even by those who reach riper years. You are never too old to depart from the living God. I suppose every pastor has had the experience of seeing people in their teens, their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, turn from the God of the covenant. We have seen those who have talked much about how they love the Lord and then leave the Lord. We have seen those who talked about the great transformation that Christ made in their lives turn back to their old ways of sin and rebellion against God. We have even seen ministers of the gospel become atheists and tell the world that everything they had preached throughout their ministries was a lie. These people who were once so active in the church and leave become the most hardened of all. Those who have felt the powers of the world to come are now past feeling, and not even the sight of Christ on the cross has any power to move them at all. This sin of ingratitude can be committed by anyone at any age. But let me plead with those who have rebelled against the Lord. Come back to him. Though you have sinned greatly, you may even now repent and be restored. You can be like the prodigal son who departed from his father's house. But the father is looking and waiting for you to return. Come home. Confess the sin of ingratitude. Ask for your faith in him to be restored and the Lord will cleanse you and create in you a new heart and renew a right spirit within you. And for those who are still within the covenant family of God, this passage of scripture reminds us how closely we need to guard our hearts, souls, and minds. People who never dreamed that they would rebel against God have done so through their own negligence. The world, the flesh, and the devil 
have not given up on you. There are so many ways they can entice you to turn your back on your gracious God. In Pilgrim's Progress, Bunyan describes Vanity Fair as offering all sorts of things to lure the faithful away from God. Houses, lands, trades, places, honors, preferments, titles, countries, kingdoms, lusts, pleasures, and delights of all sorts, as whores, bogs, wives, husbands, children, masters, servants, lives, blood, bodies, souls, silver, gold, pearls, precious stones, and what not. Throughout history, people have turned their backs on God for all these things and more. Never think that one or more of these vanities doesn't have the power to cause you to break loose from God with vehemence. Think on all the blessings he has bestowed upon you. Think of the great salvation that is yours. Think of the sufferings and death of the Son of God on your behalf. Think of all the means of grace that are yours. Prayer, scripture, worship, preaching, the sacraments. And spend your life in praise and gratitude for the Lord who has nourished you and brought you up. Amen.